Okay, Ephesians 4, 10 through 16. He who descended is, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God, the Son of God, and become mature attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the, love, the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, as you may have noticed, this uh, energetic guy that plays the guitar back here was not here today. They, uh, Chris and his family happened to be on vacation this week, a well-deserved vacation. So um, the last time I introduced this guy, I introduced him as Josh Biden, and he corrected me afterwards. And so Josh Vibert is going to come and share with us the word today. Come on up, Josh Vibert. 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 Thank you, Larry. I still love you, even though you called me Josh Biden. How are we doing this morning? Good? All right. If we've not met, my name is Josh. Now you know my last name too. <laughs> um, this morning we're going to continue uh, another, another message in our series. It's been ongoing for a couple weeks now on Christian maturity. Um, before we do that, I was asked to make another very special announcement, or I guess a thank you. Um, some of you know Mike and Vanessa Peacock and Mike's mother, Rosemary Peacock, moved yesterday and uh, a number of us from the church went over and helped them move, and I'm not going to lie, it wasn't easy. There was, there was some hard work, and Rosemary wanted to express her gratitude to those that came out and helped. Um, if you don't know, Rosemary lost her husband some years ago, and so, you know, the scripture tells us that the true essence of religion is ministry to widows and orphans, and Rosemary would probably hush me for saying that if she were here on the front row, but... You know, us coming together as a body, loving on people, and Rosemary wanted to express her gratitude for that. So, thanks, everyone. <clears throat> yeah, give a hand to people. Um, also, it's worth noting, uh, it's probably I'm going off script here, but we do have a group uh, under David Price Williams uh, who kind of, we can, it's, we, I forget what we call it, but it's basically do good deeds for the church, people in our church and people in our community. Um, what's it called? Do-gooders, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, if, you're, if you missed, you know, this past weekend, you know, it doesn't mean you're out of the club. You know, if, if you've got time, if you've got ability, just reach out to David. I think it, it works better for all involved when we come together and serve as a community. So, all right, let's jump into the message. So, like I said, we're continuing our series on Christian maturity. And over the last few weeks, we talked about what does it look like to be uh, a mature Christian, and the first thing is that it's optional. 
right? So just like you're born in your body, and unless something goes kind of awry, uh, you're going to grow, right? You're going to get bigger. You're going to get older. Uh, things are going to change, and you, you can't really control that unless you do some extreme things, right? Um, but unfortunately for, for us, spiritually, um, as we become Christians, there's, there's no mandate, or there may be a mandate, but it's not automatic. It doesn't happen by itself. There has to be some level of intentionality towards growth and maturity as a Christian. And God will let you stay <laughs> immature if that's what, you know, if, if you want to fight that battle, he'll let you do it. Um, Obviously, we probably don't think at this point that what we've heard the last couple of weeks that that's the best idea, but you can choose to do that. Um, but again, I think it goes better for if everyone involved if we decide to be mature. So in that vein, the, we've all decided in here that we're going to try to be mature. <laughs> Let's take a look at what some of that looks like to walk out. Um, I'm going to open with a scripture, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing, and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. <clears throat> Y'all listening up back there on the back row? Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place this morning. We believe that you're here. We invite you to come uh, in yet a greater way. Would you open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, would you reveal the nature of your character, who you are, your truth to our hearts, Lord. And would you give us the grace and strength to walk with you uh, and, and the fullness of maturity and obedience uh, to the calling we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so right off the bat, most of you guys are going, Proverbs, really? Like, who preaches out of Proverbs? Are you going to open with Proverbs? Can I, can I admit something to you? Proverbs is probably my favorite book in the entire Bible. Um, <clears throat> and it probably started in kind of an unconventional way. So, I got saved when I was like five years old, and, and the story goes, my mom and dad were crazy, drug-doing, hippie people, and my mom had just enough of a, you know, Bible Belt Christian upbringing that she said, well, my son's going to go to church, right? So she took me to church, and then God went, bam, saved, right? He impacted her life in a huge way. Um, you know, she completely disregarded the lifestyle she was in, got saved, started walking with the Lord. And then, you know, obviously me being a child as I grew out of that, you know, came to know the Lord. Um, so, you know, five, six years old, and you're like, well, I guess we ought to read the Bible. <laughs> but you don't really know how to read the Bible. And so my mom gave me some instruction that someone probably gave her and said, hey, you know, there's like 31 days in a month or 28 or 29 or 30. Depends on the month and the year, right? But generally speaking, there's also 31 chapters in Proverbs and so, <clears throat> if you're not quite sure where to go or how to start studying the Bible, a real simple and easy way is look at your watch or your calendar and what, what is the date for today and just read the corresponding proverb. And the other cool thing about that is um, if you miss a day or weeks, or I mean, none of the rest of you do that. It's only me that you know, doesn't get it right every single day, right? But if you miss a couple days here and there, you know, it's okay. You'll catch it the next month. 
and just go back and pick up the date, right? So I'm not here to lecture you on Bible study, but because I, you know, as a young child grabbed a hold of that model, um, I, I love Proverbs, and the reality is I've probably read the thing over a hundred times uh, at this point. Um, but I think there's a lot of value to that. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit further. According to the scripture that we read, the last line of it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, then if we don't fear the Lord, we don't know anything yet, right? We, we might think we know people or, or things. We, we can say, well, I've observed these things or I've studied these things. Um, but if, first of all, if, if we set our premise of life on we believe that the Bible is absolute and we believe that the Bible is going to define things for us, and if the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, then we have to say, until we know the Lord, until we fear him, we don't begin to know anything. Can we agree to that? At least, at least those of us that believe in the Bible. If you're in here and you don't believe in the Bible, awesome, cool. Hang out and listen. <laughs> um, maybe you will. <clears throat> in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer reinforces this point. He says, the man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. Again, I think that echoes that point that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The knowledge of God sort of, it, it's almost like putting on glasses. Have you ever been in one of those 3D rides or a 3D movie theater and you're looking at the screen and it's all just kind of you're like, it's fuzzy, it's out of focus, it's what, what, what's, what's this about? And then you put those special glasses on and all of a sudden not only is it clear, but it's multidimensional. I think... Beginning to understand God, beginning to know God, is like putting on those, those 3D glasses in this world, right? Because you see things, and, and you hear people say stuff. They go, how could a loving God fill in the blank, right? Starving children in Africa, war, what, what, whatever, anything that we perceive as an injustice. It's, when you say things like that, it's like looking at that screen without the 3D. And you're like, why would I pay $25 at an IMAX movie for this fuzzy junk. I can't see. This isn't good. But then you put the glasses on, and then it's, it's, it's a, you know, can be a remarkable experience if you've never seen it before. You know, maybe you get used to it. But at first you're like, whoa, this is crazy. And I think that having the knowledge of God, getting that to sort of, you start to look at the world through God-colored lenses, right? And you see things in a way that's new. And then all of a sudden... It still not, might not make sense to you, but in the very least, you have grace to view situations and people through. And let's clarify, when we say fear the Lord, we don't mean to be afraid. Um, although I think there is an element in the reverence of God where if you are walking outside of the will of God, you're antagonistic towards God, maybe you should be afraid. But for the believer... Uh, it's not a fear of trembling. It's not fear like I'm afraid of the lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, you know. It's the uh, <clears throat> it's it's a reverence. It's a it's an understanding. It's giving him a place of authority, where you say I, I revere who God is and what God says, and so I, I have a, a holy fear, if you will, towards that, and I respect that, and I allow that to have impact on my life. So once we fear the Lord, we begin to understand who he is. We develop a right belief about God. 
And ultimately, that should lead us to repentance and salvation. Solomon says that this is the beginning of wisdom. Well, that implies that there's more to come, right? In other words, getting saved is like step one. Fearing the Lord is step one. It's not the end. It's the beginning. So I think one of the reasons Proverbs gets a bad rap among a lot of people is because it's full of a lot of statements like, the wise man does this, but the foolish man does that. And it it, it kind of reads in a lot of ways like the Ten Commandments. It's like a a list of don't do this or this bad thing will happen to you. And, And this bad guy did this bad thing and this bad thing happened to him, but the good guy did the good thing and the good thing happened to him. It kind of paints itself that way. And then what tends to happen is you have one of two responses to that. So maybe you're like me and you like rules and you like structure and you read that and you're like, yeah. That's how it is, man. You know, you, you do the bad thing, the bad thing happens, and you do the good thing, and the good thing happens. And like even in secular world, people, there's this word karma, right? People, you probably heard that, and it's, it's kind of based on that premise, right? <clears throat> or maybe you're a wonderfully free-spirited person, and you're on the other side of the things, and you look at these rules and structures, and you're like, that is garbage. Like, that's so, you know sweltering and oppressive and I just I'm I'm not not with that and so maybe you you've even written off God because of that or in the very least when you read the Bible you you know it's it's like "Mm, Lord can we just skim Proverbs because that really just seems like like legalism to me and I think here's here's how we got there I think too many Christians over time have taken Proverbs and scriptures like it out of context Because what you'll see if you read through Proverbs is there's really nothing about salvation in the book of Proverbs. right? So so the wise man does this and the foolish man does that. And it has nothing to do with whether or not either of them is saved. It has nothing to do with whether or not either of them has an eternal hope of salvation. So what's it talking about then? I submit to you it's talking about growing up in maturity. It's talking about once you've put the first thing first, once the fear of the Lord is the beginning, right? So we've started with the fear of the Lord. We've started with salvation. And this is then how you sort of ought to walk on this earth in this age. And when you do these kinds of things, it will go well with you. And when you do these other kinds of things, it's going to go poorly with you. But none of that is about salvation. Salvation is before that. But some people have taken these scriptures and they browbeat people with them. And they say, if you do this, you're not saved. Or, in order to be saved, you must do this. And I think that it's, it's, it's out of context. It's, it's not really right to use it in that way. And, and some of you in this room may have been hurt by people. You may know people who are no longer walking with the Lord because of people taking these kinds of things out of context and browbeating people with them. <clears throat> so, what's it for? It's... it's how to relate to your fellow man, your fellow woman. And often, when you see people who do these sorts of things, um, we would say that's a mature person, or that's a wise person. You know, think about that, um, that Andy Griffith figure, or that, you know, that grandfather figure, or, or grandmother figure, that wise person in your life who always spoke truth, always spoke wisdom. You sought advice from them. How did they get that way? Did it just happen? They just all of a sudden one day they you know they went from 49 to 50 years old and boom just supernaturally ah you know there was doves and flames of fire and stuff right and they're just endowed with wisdom from on high. 
I don't think that's how it happened. You guys probably don't think that's how it happened either, right? So it takes some intentionality, right? They probably were practicing that from an early age, and then they grew up into maturity. Scripture will call a person like that the righteous man. Proverbs will say the righteous man, and I don't think it's talking about righteousness in terms of sanctification or following God. If you look at the context, it really sort of means the good man, the person who does right, being righteous, not necessarily the holy person sanctified by the blood of Jesus. So is it okay if we make that distinction there? So the output of having first believed on Christ for salvation and then walking through the process of sanctification by his Holy Spirit working in you should be that maturity. Here's the big thing. They are not, praise God, prerequisites for salvation. And I think, again, a lot of people have used, well, if you're going to be saved, then you've got to do these things. You've got to act this way. Um, it's, it's not how it works. It's not the model we see in Scripture. It's certainly not who Jesus hung out with, right? If we look at who Jesus hung out with, you know, it was prostitutes and tax collectors and, you know, sinners. Well, there's no prerequisite like, hey, get your stuff together first, become righteous first, and then now you're qualified to maybe see, like, we'll put you on a probation period, you know, sign up for 90 days at the church, and, you know, if your attendance is good and your giving's good, and believe me, we're going to check up on you, then maybe we'll let you be saved. Not at all. But we've, we've sometimes created some structures that look like that. It's getting the cart before the horse. It's getting things out of order. You don't expect people to be mature first and then get saved and then be filled with the Spirit. It's the salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that leads to maturity. So why should we seek to grow into mature believers? Well, if we listen to Chris a couple weeks ago, so don't we, we don't end up like a stagnant, stinky puddle of water. I mean, that's, that's a good reason, right? Nobody in here wants to stink. <laughs> but I think it goes further than that. Um, I think there's sort of two key purposes for which we as the body of Christ ought to really seek to become mature. I submit to you that number one is to be, it's sort of for God. It's to be set apart as what the King James Bible calls a peculiar people. Everybody heard that phrase before? It comes from this scripture, and we've got it in ESV, so it's not going to have that phrase in it. But 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, if you think back to the series we did before this one on the Holy Spirit, what was, what was the two, two key phrases we said happens when the Holy Spirit shows up? You guys remember? People get saved, and God's people get brave, right? Well, I, th- I would submit to you that maturity as fallout from being filled with the Holy Spirit has some of those same effects, right? 
when, when we, what's the point of our good deeds? It says here that, that they may see your good deeds. So it's not that doing good deeds is wrong. Doing good deeds doesn't make you saved. But having been saved, filled with the Spirit, and doing the good deeds, now you're like a representation of God to people on the earth, right? And so the second point follows up to that, to be a reflection of God's nature to humankind. James 3, 13 through 18, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wow. Yep, to be a reflection of God's nature to humankind. That's point two. Point one, to be set apart for God. Point two, to be a reflection of God's nature to the earth. So we're halfway through that scripture. Basically what it's saying here at this point is that if you are walking in what we'd call wisdom of the earth, man wisdom, carnal wisdom, the kind of wisdom that says, hey man, go out and promote yourself and tell everybody how great you are because if you don't, you're not going to get the raise. Well, scripture here says that's demonic. Ooh. I mean, that kind of cuts. I mean, I, I, I'd put a resume together and might think about how I did that resume. <laughs> but... Here's what it says. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Do we see that in our world? We don't see that in politics ever, right? We don't see ambition and people saying things that aren't true just to make themselves look better. That never happens. No, not at all, right? (laughs) But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace it's like this when you set out in selfish ambition to try to make something happen you are at odds with the way God has sort of set up the law of nature in this earth and you're really if you don't realize it aligning yourself with the spirit of this age which is ultimately demonic in Satan when you do that. But if instead you, you take the example we have in Scripture, you do things the way Jesus says to do them, right? Jesus, how many times did Jesus say, you've heard it said, blah, 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 but I say to you this, right? There is a difference in the way that God designed his people, his kingdom to work on this earth and how we as humankind since the fall in the garden decided it ought to go. And there is a choice for you as you grow up into maturity as a believer. Which path are you going to follow? Are you, are you going to follow the, the secular path, the ways of this world that ultimately really, hey, guess what? You're going to get some short-term gain doing that probably. But ultimately, the end of it's death. Or are you going to turn the other cheek? Are you going to, if someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two. If someone asks you for your, your tunic, give them your shirt also. Jesus said these things, and they're like, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is speaking in terms of a kingdom economy, not an earth economy. And the two things work different. So now that we understand that this isn't about salvation, but it's about growth and maturity as believers, really, it's, it's to enhance our lives, and it's to enhance the lives of those around us. 
What are some of these principles? Well, first, let's look at the language that's used. And I'm going to hit kind of five of these rapid fire to prove a point. Uh, Proverbs, basically it's the opening uh, line of Proverbs 1 through 5. It goes like this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let, my, let your heart keep my commandments. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. Who's speaking there? Solomon, the Spirit of God through Solomon. It's a father. It's a father. And it says son because that's the way the Bible's written. Sons, daughters, children, whatever pronoun you want to use. I don't think it's, a, it's, a, it's not a gender thing, right? But this is the heart of a father saying, children, listen to me. I want what's good for you. Listen to me that it may go well with you. And, and we see the same thing on and on throughout the book of Proverbs. So I would submit to you that this is not a list of do this, not that. It's not a list of if you don't do this, you're going to hell. It's a list of guys, I want the best for you. If you'll do these things, you will be blessed. And if you do some of these other things, it's, it's not going to go well. It's not God cursing you because you did the wrong thing. It's just this is the order of the world. If you cheat, lie, and steal, people ain't going to like it. Bad stuff's going to happen, right? The reality is that God, your Father, is for you. This is a, a, probably a real well-known scripture, but Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. How many of you have ever felt hopeless in your life? Probably all of us at some point. Some of you may feel hopeless right now. You go, I don't see a way forward. I don't see a light. What, what, is, what is the purpose of this life? Right? It's, it's almost become this thing in pop culture where we sort of make fun of it, right? You know, we, someone ascends the mountain of knowledge, right? And he gets to the top and he talks to the priest and he goes... What is the meaning of life, right? And we make a joke out of it, but people are looking for purpose. They're like, what is this for? What are we doing here? And God says, I know what you're here for. And I know you by name. And it's not just a purpose for sort of the earth as a whole. He has one for that. But he's got a purpose for Matt. He's got a purpose for Mary. He's got a purpose for Jeff. He's got a purpose for each and every one of you as individuals. He wants to shower his favor on you. But whereas salvation is a free gift from God through the blood of Jesus Christ that you cannot earn, there are things we can do for, to disqualify ourselves from being able to walk in the favor of God. David writes in Psalm 1, 1 through 6, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." 
but the way of the wicked will perish. I think we read this sometimes as the righteous are the saved people and the wicked are the unsaved people. Maybe. But I think there's, a, there's an element of behavior that's spoken to. Right? Because it says, he who walks in the counsel of the wicked or stands or sits. Those are, those are verbs. Those are actions. These people are choosing to do things or choosing not to do things. So if we've established that salvation is not based on our works then I would submit to you this isn't about saved and unsaved people. This is about how people choose to live their lives in maturity or immaturity. And if you choose to sit in the way, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, God can't bless that, man. If you're going to choose to put yourself out from under God's grace and blessing by choosing to go over here, it's not that God is being mean to you or withholding from you, you've taken yourself out of the place of being blessed by God. But if you delight in the law of the Lord, if you meditate on it day and night, then you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water and you'll yield fruit and you'll be prosperous. Now I want to put like an asterisk disclaimer on this right here. You know, you can do hashtag. I don't know how you do asterisk. Like... There are people that have taken this message so far out of context. And, and that's not, I want to be real clear, that's not what we're talking about here, right? We're not talking about prosperity gospel, name it, claim it, whatever you want to say attributed to that, right? That's not what we're here for. But those people got that because it's in the Bible. They may have taken it out of bounds potentially, but that's in the Bible. It is a promise and truth that we can stand on and we can apply to our lives. Pretty good with that? All right, so here's the point. It matters how you walk. It matters how you live your life. Not so that you can be saved, because you can't earn salvation, but so that your life is not a waste, because God has plans and purposes for each one of us. He puts you on this earth at a given time. That time is now. And he has things he wants you to do for yourself, for your friends, for your family, for his kingdom. And if you don't walk according to his plans and his paths, you're not going to be able to do the things that he has laid out for you to do. I think that if it were about salvation, that the minute we got saved, we'd just get raptured into heaven. Because why not, right? If, 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 this is, if salvation is about eternity and there's no element of living on this earth and participating in God's kingdom... Dude, that's way easier, right? <laughs> like, hey, you're saved. Boom. Like, hey, there goes John. He got saved. Oh, yay. Right? <laughs> but that's not how it works. We have, we have some work to do on this earth for the kingdom. And we have some work to do to grow ourselves up into mature believers uh, to, for, for God's glory. And then also, to, to, as Scripture says, to walk correctly to those who are outside. That means each and every one of us at some point probably wasn't a believer and we saw someone who had salt and light and good things happen in their life. And we say, man, how do you have hope in this hopeless world we live in? And they shared the gospel with you. Well, we need to be those people also who walk around with that light. And people see that in us. So we've probably all known people. And some of you may, this morning may feel this way. You say, I'm a good person. I mostly do good things most of the time. 
<laughs> you're like, I'm with you, man. I, I, I believe in that good stuff. And here's the deal. Somewhere throughout the course of history, humanity got the idea that being a Christian meant being a good person. And so therefore, if you're a good person, then you're a Christian. And Christians go to heaven when they die. And so the path to heaven is to be a good person. You see how that logic works, right? In some way, like, okay, yeah. And the problem is, again, it's like I said, they got the cart in front of the horse. They've got things out of order. And, and it's not, the cause is not the effect. It's the effect. And they've tried to put it as though it were the cause. And it's, I'm sorry, it's not right. It's a skewed version of the truth. And if you're putting your hope in the message of karma, or if I can just do enough good to offset my evil, I think you're missing it. I, I really do. I think the Bible would say that you're missing it. John 14, 1 through 6 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I would go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas goes, nah, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where you're going. How can I know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one gets to the Father through good works. And guys, this is really, really sad. I grew up with sort of two sets of aunts and uncles, right? And, and on my mom's side was people who would all name Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and glory, hallelujah, and one glad morning, all fly away. And on the other side was people who never named the name of the Lord, uh, the, their lifestyle probably would not be representative of what we would see in believers. And yet these people were much better people, kinder, encouraging, more f better to be around. Not fun because like they were party people, but gentle, kind, right? As a child, you pick up on that. And the Christian people over here were sour, backbiting, awful people to be around. How is that? Why is that? Well, I think somewhere these people, I have some insight into it because they're family. <laughs> these people bought into the idea that if I can just be good, I'll get to heaven. And these people went, well, I know I can't be good enough to get to heaven, so I'm just going to be how, who I am. Jesus said, come as you are, bro, that's who I am. And, and Jesus said, come as you are, but he didn't say stay as you are. So let's be clear. Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way to God, the only way to eternity in heaven, the only way of salvation. Being good won't save you. But being saved should make you good. Having gone through salvation, repentance, sanctification, filling with the Holy Spirit, and a daily walk with the Lord should bear fruit in your life. There should be a visible component, a visible shift in who you are as a person and how you relate to people, the way you do your work, your integrity, that should flow out of you. And so having become saved, you should be a good person. 
If you get saved and you stay a nasty person who's, you know, 20 minutes from now belaboring the waitress over how your food wasn't cooked right, you might want to reconsider. <laughs> Go back to the repentance part, right? Romans 8, 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. All right, God is our Father. And having been saved, we can call him Abba, which as I understand translates to like Daddy. It's, it's, more, it's more than a title, right? My children, I am their father, you know, because of biological reasons. But I am their daddy because of how I relate to them. God wants not just to be our father. He wants to be our daddy. And so here's the flip side. If we take the position of sons and daughters of God, if we call him daddy, then scripture says we have to receive his correction too. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And as we saw earlier in our look through Proverbs, the call over and over and over is for us to listen to our Father's wisdom and to heed his instruction. Right? The discipline of the Lord is not like strap you up and whip you. Right? <laughs> and I think that for some of that, for some of us, because of our life experiences, discipline has a real negative connotation with that. For a lot of us, discipline was, was done in an abusive way. But I would invite us to really strive to divorce our minds from that idea if we possibly can. And understand that, um, you know, when my daughter goes up to the hot stove and I say, no, 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 Eleanor, don't touch that, it's hot. I don't want you to be burned. I don't want you to be scarred. That's the way the discipline of the Lord works. It's not yelling, it's not whipping, right? It's not abusive, it's, it's protective in nature. It's, I love you, please don't do that thing. So again, the call is over and over for us to listen to our Father's instruction, to heed his wisdom, not that we would be saved in doing so, because salvation is a free gift, but rather that in heeding our Father's wisdom and heeding our Father's instruction, we can grow up into mature believers. We can be salt and light. We can be who we ought to be to those in the world and to our families. You want to be a better husband? Heed your Father's instruction. You want to be a better father, a better mother, a better wife, a better sister, brother, better coworker? It's in the Bible, guys. But we have to choose to walk that way. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 calls us that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's an element of this that's not just about us to God, that's part of it. And it's us to others. And then it's us to us, right? Things go well for you if you do this. All right. We're going to transition now to the part of our service where we come to the Lord's table. Um, but first, I, I want to invite us into just a